Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Big Apple Hockey. We're doing a special episode this week because we're going to go across the Hudson and talk about the New Jersey Devils with, of course, the man that's right here with me. I'm going to introduce him in a second. First, let me introduce myself. I, of course, am your host, Mark Williams, and I'm joined by our Devils contributor and the host of Devil's State of Mind, Mr. Neil Villapiano. Let's go, Mark. How are you, my friend? Everything's going great, Neil, and uh, looking forward to talking some pucks. I mean, I don't know if there could have been a better introduction or if I could make it more grand for you. It'd be like, Neil Villapiano. <laughs> it definitely sounds like there's an there's like an opera quality to you, to your name when you're when you're mentioning it. But uh, as you know, as you might not have known, Neil writes lots of articles for us for big apple hockey so it's great to have you on board and he's our devil's correspondent and he'll be talking we'll be talking to him throughout the year all right by the way everybody once again uh that you can get the big apple hockey hats they're on the description that's down below and the, the a block is powered by seat geek use the promo code big apple hockey or you could use devil state of mind if you want to support neil as well so Getting off to the offseason review, there has been a lot of great things that has happened for the Devils in in this offseason. In Tyler DeFoley and Colin Miller, Chris Tierney, and Tomas Nocek, who signed this week, traded out Igor Sarangovich, Kenzie Blackwood, Ryan Graves. Miles, by the way, Ryan, Ryan Graves, what's Pittsburgh thinking? I don't know. Miles Wood, Damon Sievertson, and Jesper Boquist. First, your thoughts on the uh, anybody going out? Is there anybody you're going? Uh, they might miss that guy. Well, this might come as somewhat of a surprise, but I think Damon Severson might be the one that Devils fans may be, um, you know, long term might be wishing that maybe he could have stuck around because, look, the reality is with Severson is that when he's on and he's really playing at the highest level he can, he's really good at the long stretch passes. He's pretty reliable in the defensive zone, really good, particularly on offense, on the power play. Um, really just a guy that overall does the little things right. When he's not, he's shooting the puck into his own net or not really playing the position that he's supposed to be playing. So I, and I always have called it the curious case of Damon Severson. Like this is the way that it always is. But I think with what Severson brings to the table on a, pretty much on a night-to-night basis, I think the Devils are going to miss that um, early on. I think that overall they're going to find a way to not necessarily patch it together, but to find you know alternatives to kind of bring that same type of, um, um, I guess, productivity, if you, if you would uh, look at it that way. So I think that's definitely going to be somebody that we are going to miss um, with him being one of the longest tenure devils up until, you know, obviously uh, early June. Um, but he's probably the guy that stands out the most to me. I, you know what? You brought up Severson and I thought, you know what? I, how are they really going to miss him? But there is going to be a factor I'm going to get into in concerns in a little bit uh, that I think you're going to be right about that. You're going to be definitely proven right about this. And it's, it's going to be the inexperience on the blue line. Let me just hint at that. I'll get mm-hmm. into it in further detail shortly. Let's go to how did the Devils improve? 
Yeah, this is uh, I think it's fair to say the Devils improved um a lot, uh, especially when it came to adding uh more depth and more scoring to not only the top six but to the top nine. Um, Tom Fitzgerald, the general manager of the Devils, has made it clear that his mission is not to make the Devils a great top six team. He's trying to make the Devils a great top nine team. That's really what he was going for. And he saw an opportunity with Tyler Toffoli, you know, pretty much one of the many guys in Calgary, pretty much saying that they had no intentions of coming back once their contract was up. It was an easy decision for Tom Fitzgerald to go after somebody like a Tyler Toffoli and, you know, add that scoring prowess. Now, Toffoli is not necessarily a speedy skater, not necessarily one of the faster guys. And so when you look at it from that perspective, you say, well, how does he fit in with this Devils team? Well, he provides something that I think the Devils lacked a lot last year, and that is a proven finisher. There are a lot of guys in this team that scored a ton of goals. Jack Hughes, uh, Timo Meyer, Nico Heischer, Jesper Brad, Dawson Mercer. You know, the list goes on and on. But none of them are considered to be a legit, you know, finisher. That's not their number one strength. Tyler Toffoli, that's what he's about. He's about putting the puck in the back of the net on a consistent basis and obviously getting the puck on net in general. And finishing his opportunities. You saw that when he was in um, Los Angeles. You saw that when he was, you know, in a short time in Montreal. And you even saw that in, in, you know, his time in Calgary. He is a consistent finisher, especially on the power play. He brings uh, a level of scoring that we need in order to improve this power play. He brings veteran leadership. He's been in the playoffs numerous times. He's won a Stanley Cup you know, with the LA Kings, he knows what it takes to win in this league. And that's important to still one of the youngest teams in the National Hockey League. So to get a Tyler Toffoli for only Yegor Sharangovich, who pretty much um, fell out of favor with um, Lindy Ruff and being on that top six, uh, now he'll get an opportunity to kind of uh, be one of the more main guys on a rebuilding or retooling a Calgary Flames team. And giving up a mid-round draft pick is not bad at all, considering the Devils' championship window has now been open. So this was a really good move. Also, I mean, Tom Fitzgerald doesn't necessarily look at the Toffoli trade as a rental. He's talked about he's trying to convince Toffoli to sign long term, which is great. I mean, it just the Devils are becoming more and more of a destination place. You can see it by even the guys that the Devils have picked up in free agency. We just had, um, you know, Colin Miller and Tomas Nosek both talk to the media uh, earlier this week, and they both pretty much said that they were super excited to come here uh, because of the opportunity to win. Tomas Nosek said it specifically. I chose the Devils. Because I want to win. He had pretty much the same offer from the Edmonton Oilers. And obviously you we see what the Oilers have done over the last couple of years with Conor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and making deep runs in the playoffs. But Tomas Nosek decided to come here after being on a historic Boston Bruins team and he's and because he wants to win. And so right then and there is the definition of this is becoming a destination place for guys to come in and help this team get to the ultimate goal. And that is to win a Stanley Cup in New Jersey. And I think that's really important. And so when you look at Tom Fitzgerald as a whole and you look at what he's done, you're looking at him. He's filling different spots to kind of make this team that much deeper, that much more. Um, you have much more of a veteran presence to kind of fill those holes that you saw the Devils were lacking last year, specifically in the playoffs and even more specifically in that second round against the Hurricanes where they were to put it bluntly, were exposed for the lack of playoff experience. As much as we didn't want to talk about it, that's kind of what it was. So overall, 
Yeah, you can't help but like and at times love what Tom Fitzgerald has done in terms of add, bringing guys in and you know adding some holes that we we didn't have before. So I, I'm really I'm really excited about it, specifically with the Tyler Toffoli trade. And also, people neglect this Tyler Toffoli, great two way player, and he could have played for that Devils team 15, 16 years ago, mm-hmm. and you know. It, we're, I'm also doing an article right now on a great values of contracts in in the NHL right now, and probably on the AAV. Tyler Toffoli, I think it's a 4.25 million. Mm-hmm. That is a hell of a contract for a guy who kicked in 73 points last year. And again, good two way player. He, he's responsible in his own end. No so, question. But I do. I was going to make this one of the uh, bar talk questions we're going to do later. But what's your opinion on the Devils' top six? Are they one of the NHL's best on a short list, or are they the NHL's best? I think they're one of the NHL's best. Um, I mean, let's face it. You know, you have a team like, you know, as much as everybody likes to make fun of them, you have a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs who has a tremendous top six with what they have right now and the ability that all of those guys can do. Um, You know, you look at Carolina and you see the talent that's there. You can understand it. Some people even want to put the Rangers there as one of those teams with a very good top six. Um, And I think the Devils, you know, rightfully so deserve to be in that conversation as a top five and even top three best top six in the NHL with the ability that all of those guys can do. And it's not just the six guys that are the most likely to make it. There's other guys that can that you can add into that top six at any point and also become, you know, very, very lethal. Like, let's not forget that last offseason, the biggest move the Devils made was getting Andre Pilat after they were unsuccessful in um, luring in Johnny Gaudreau in free agency. Their backup plan was Andre Pilat. And Pilat came in, and a lot of us expected expected him to be in a similar role that he was in Tampa. Top six left winger with a ton of Stanley Cup experience. And obviously, he dealt with you know an injury that kept him out for several months. That ended up being a benefactor to guys like Dawson Mercer, who have now pretty much solidified themselves as a top six guy. But that just makes... The bottom, the the top nine, even better because now you're ad- adding an Andre Pilat to a third line when you already have talent on the left side and also the right side. Like that is that is really really impressive to see. Um, but going back to what you were saying about the top six, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, and I'm pretty sure that there's no doubt in a lot of people's minds that the Devils have one of the best. Uh, top sixes in the entire National Hockey League. And you can see it by just the way people are ranking them in terms of power rankings and even predictions throughout the entire offseason because a lot of people recognize talent. And on paper, this is an offense that when it's clicking could be one of, if not the most dangerous offense in the entire NHL. You look at that firepower up front that they could sport. First off, uh, Jack Hughes... 99 points, and uh, then you have Nico Heischer, who had, uh, damn it, I had his stats, 80 points. And <laughs> and then you they, the full season of Timo Meyer, and we all know what he can bring. Jesper Bratt, I have a sneaky suspicion Jesper Bratt's going to get 73 points. 
given that that's what he's got in the last two years. So <laughs> it's it, it, on, on the nose. That's a little bit weird on that one. But um, so and, and then, of course, Dougie Hamilton uh, plays a full season. He's going to be effective from the back end. But what concerns do you have looking at the team and thinking, I'm, this worries me? I would say two things. The first one is the more obvious one, and that is goaltending. There's no secret that uh, goaltending became an issue in the second round against Carolina. Both Akira Schmid, for all the great things that he did against the New York Rangers in the first round, um, definitely struggled in the second round against Carolina, except really in game five, which unfortunately they ended up losing. And ultimately that ended the series and the season for the team, but he was very good in that game. He did a lot to keep the devils in a position to even have a chance to maybe win uh, that game and force a game six. Vitek Vanacek from the get go in the playoffs for whatever reason um, struggled. And it concerned me to see how stunned and crestfallen he was in particular after losing game four, the way that they did at home, his head was down the whole time. He really, really just looked absolutely dejected. And I've argued to say that I think VTech in particular ran out of gas. This was the first time in his still very young career. Remember to everybody that this was just the fourth season of his career or third season of his career in the NHL. He hasn't been in the league that long. Um, and this is the biggest workload he's had. He became just the second goaltender in the entire history of this Devils franchise to win 30 or more games in a season. I mean, this is not something that, you know, is meant to be, you know, scoffed at. Like, he had a really great season, and we don't get as far as we did without Vitek, but... When push came to shove in the regular in the postseason, he did not show up. And that has been the Achilles heel for this Devils team. People look at the year before when the Devils, you know, underlying numbers were one of the better in the NHL. Everybody looked at it and said, well, if the Devils get half decent goaltending, league average goaltending, they make the playoffs. They're a playoff team. And that's what they got in spades last season. They got more than a, you know, league average. They got above average goaltending from VTech. And also, even when Akira Schmidt played during the regular season, Mackenzie Blackwood, unfortunately, you know, his time was up. He just wasn't going to get back to a level that we wanted him to get back to. And so the Devils found an opportunity to, to move on from him and obviously get something for him. And the Devils did that. So going into this offseason, as you can see by the rumors that will not die, um, the Devils are constantly rumored for any of the big-name goaltenders that are either rumored to be available or, you know, have the, you know, very high chance of being moved. And the guys I'm talking about are obviously guys like Connor Hellebuck and even John Gibson. Whether or not the Devils are still thinking about making a move like that, we don't know. We haven't heard from Tom Fitzgerald in weeks. We haven't heard him since the NHL draft. Even well after the first day of free agency, we heard nothing from him. We've heard from the guys that he has uh, acquired or signed, but we haven't heard from him. So it's I, I don't know if that means he just doesn't want to talk to the media or if he's working on other things and wants to wait till we get closer to training camp. I don't know exactly where he's going with that. Remember, we're still in late July. A lot of time before we get to um, training camp in 
you know, September. So, you know, we'll see. But goaltending is something that does concern me. I've said before that I don't have an issue going into this season with Vitek Vanacek and Akira Schmid. Um, but if one or both of them starts to struggle, then obviously it's going to be something that, again, is going to be the team's Achilles heel. So that's probably the biggest thing I'm concerned with. And the other thing I'm concerned with is this. How much confidence does Tom Fitzgerald have in having young, young, inexperienced defensemen replace the guys that we lost? Damon Severson and Ryan Graves uh, accumulated something along the lines of like 700 plus man games. That's a lot that Devils lost this offseason. And they're going to certainly have Luke Hughes in the fold after what he did in the, you know, at the, you know, in, in the, let at the end of the regular season and even in the playoffs when he got in. Um, but he still hasn't played a full season in the NHL. So he still has a lot to learn. Simone Nemetz, the Devils 2022 first round pick, second overall, he hasn't played a game in the NHL yet in terms of the regular season. This is another kid that very well could earn a spot on this team. And so that's why you saw them go after a guy like Colin Miller. That's why they signed a guy like Brendan Smith to a two-year deal. They wanted to have still some veteran presence while also trying to implement some young guys. And I think that that's still going to be a concern to see, does the devil's defense get better? Does it stay the same? Or does it get a little bit worse because of what we ended up losing in, in free agency um, and in trades this offseason. So those are probably the two concerns I have when it comes to this team. But the way that Tom Fitzgerald and Lindy Ruff and everybody at the top has gone about these situations, at one point or another, they've been able to prove us wrong. And so it gives me confidence that they're going to prove me wrong in the most positive way I can think of. Um, but it is something to be cause for concern um, if you're a Devils fan going into this season. Yeah, because uh, I know a lot of people have joked. Uh, by the way, we got some good questions coming on in the comments. Keep them coming, guys. We're going to make sure we try to have them off and kneel. Uh, but one of the comments people have made is, is New Jersey in danger of becoming Toronto 2.0? And they'll point to the defense. They'll point mm -hmm. to the, the point going on the top six. Now, I think it helps to have these blue chip prospects that are coming. Like, uh, see, and, and say his name, say Simone's name for me. It's uh, Nemetz. Simone Nemetz. Nemetz. Okay, good. Cause I, I need to make sure I get that down because I see Nemec and <laughs> I yeah. just don't want to mispronounce it. But Luke Hughes, no way to mispronounce that one. If let's say if those two are on the defense this year, I always have this saying of you can have one rookie defenseman on the team and compete for a cup can't have two, especially, right. you know, Ranger fans were talking about this years ago when it's like, Oh, Brandon Schneider's up. Oh, bring up, uh, bring up Zach Jones. All right. Well, that's not going to work because you need that experience. And that's why like, say for instance, the Justin Braun is somebody like that is there. That's where the importance of having Brandon right. Smith is there who, I mean, Brandon Smith serviceable defenseman. And he was, uh, I've, I've seen him play good defenseman. He'll stand up for his teammates. He'll he'll play whatever you want. At one point, back when he was at the Rangers, he played right wing on the fourth line. So <laughs> it's 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 valuable to have that 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 
combination on D does worry me a little bit, but you know, John Marino is going to be good for, for the devils with that. And um, at least he'd be helping to, to cushion any, any problems Luke Hughes is going to have. And Luke right. Hughes in those two games, you know, his, his first goal was a game winning goal and on right. the final day of the season. So you got to like you're seeing out of out of them. But if you could pinpoint one guy, Neil, who would you say is the key player for next season? It's a really good question because I don't think there is really a wrong answer because the Devils have so many guys that can be, you know, key points and key focal points or the guy that stands out the most. But the guy for me that I think is going to have the biggest impact this season might surprise some, but I think it's going to be Dawson Mercer. Um, Dawson Mercer, this is the last year of his entry-level deal. I know that Tom Fitzgerald has talked numerous times about he wants to get him signed long-term and that the Devils are pretty much in really good discussions with him in terms of term and even money. So they might get this done much sooner than uh, we may think. They may just throw it out there when we least expect it. But Dawson Mercer has been one of the most interesting players in Devils history because in the year that he was drafted, he was not even the top guy that the Devils fans were excited about in terms of that draft. That was Alexander Holtz, um, which I'm sure we will talk about as well um, you know, on this. But Dawson Mercer was a guy that a lot of people looked at and said should have been drafted higher in his draft year, but due to COVID in that situation, it, it kind of hurt him, not to his own fault, but just of the, the unfortunate circumstances that COVID brought to a lot of guys. Um, but ever since he made the team a couple of years ago, he has not missed a single game. He has played in all 82 games two years ago, played in all 82 games last season, and played in every single playoff game. He has been Mr. Dependable. He has been there. And not only that, he has been able to elevate his offensive game a ton. At one point, he had a multi-point uh, game streak. You know, he was getting a point per game. I think it went up to 10 or 11 games, if I remember correctly. He was on fire. There's a reason we call him Dogson Mercer. He is, he's got that dog in him. He is not afraid to go up against any player and, you know, have that ability to light it up. He's got the speed, he's got the stick handling ability, and he has a very, very lethal wrist shot. Something that is really going to be a factor when it comes to the power play once it gets better with adding a guy like Toffoli, adding Travis Green, you know, on the assistant coach front for Andrew Burnett. And I think Dawson Mercer is going to take his game to an even bigger level this season. And I think he's going to ultimately be one of the main guys that is really going to help carry this Devils team, not just in the regular season, but very deep uh, into playoff can, playoff and Stanley Cup contention. So Dawson Mercer would be my guy that I would tell Devils fans and also fans around the league to keep your eye on number 91 because this kid is very, very special. And the best is still yet to come from this kid. That is a scary proposition for teams around the Metropolitan Division to hear that Dawson Mercer has another level. I, 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 have, I have sung the praises of Dawson Mercer plenty on this podcast, as well as Jesper Bratt, uh, who I'll ask a question about Jesper Bratt in one second. Mm -hmm. But it's, 
it's one of those things. I watched Dawson Mercer and I just go, God, that's what every every Ranger fan, for instance, wants Alexei Lafreniere to be. Right. And he's he ain't there yet. Dawson Mercer right there is there. And you know, 27 goals last year. He's on the cusp of breaking 30, especially if he plays on that on that top line. Yikes. Mm-hmm. With uh Meyer and uh and Hughes, maybe. But um uh by the way, Jesper Bratt. Was he like unfairly labeled in the playoffs, like not a playoff player? Like I heard, I saw some complaints about that. I'm like, this. I, I yeah. thought he, he played. I thought he played well in the playoffs. I test, maybe not the numbers. The numbers don't always speak uh, the whole picture. They don't always show the whole picture. I think Jesper Bratt, in many, many uh, degrees, had really bad puck luck in the playoffs. I think there was just so many times where he just had bad luck in terms of finishing. There were multiple opportunities for him where I think, especially in the regular season or if everything was clicking for him, he would score. But in this, but during the playoffs, for whatever reason, he, he, he didn't perform at the level that we wanted him to. But I wrote this in an article that I, that I shared on big apple hockey. If you guys haven't checked it out, I, I would highly recommend you check it out. And I talked, I gave everybody a really good example of somebody who was criticized uh, for a while as to not being a playoff performer, but eventually not only became a playoff performer, but became the best player in the playoffs. And that was just this past year with Jonathan Marchessault. When you look up until this year, Jonathan Marchessault didn't necessarily come up big time in the playoffs. Fast forward to, to these playoffs, and he stepped it up big time with all of the big names that are on this team. He's one of the last guys remaining from the original Golden Misfits of 2017-2018. And, you know, he was a guy that was rumored in many degrees to be traded as well, you know, with all the crazy moves that the Golden Knights have made over the last couple of years. And he uh, he got the trust from the front office that he could deliver in the playoffs. And that's exactly what he did. But it took him several years in the playoffs to figure it out. I'm not saying it's going to take Jesper Brad several years to figure it out in the playoffs. Um, I'm just saying that it's too early to just label him as a playoff choker or an underperformer when he's only played in the playoffs once in his still very young career. And if we're going to be hard on him, we have to be hard on Timo Meyer as well. Because Timo Meyer had just as much, if not more, puck, uh, bad puck luck than, than Jesper Bratt. Now, Timo eventually found his game in the last two or three games of the playoffs in the second round against Carolina. He got himself a couple of goals, but there were many games where he didn't produce a whole lot. Um, you know, so, and there's other guys that you can point at and say, where were they in the playoff? Remember, the top point getter on the Devils in the first round against the Rangers was Eric Holla who was playing on the third line. Like, that's not necessarily the best thing you want to hear. Obviously, it means that this team, the Devils' top guys have still yet to perform form at the level that they're supposed to, and they're going into the second round. But it also is like, it's not great when your third-line guy is the guy that ends up leading your team in points in a playoff series. So my, my point is, is that it's way too early to label Jesper Bratt or matter of fact, a lot of these guys on this Devils team as playoff underperformers because 
they have only made the playoffs once. And this is just the beginning of what this team, um, of this timeline that the Devils have in terms of competing for a Stanley Cup. So I would say you got to wait a couple more years to really kind of get a definitive answer to that. I just think it's way too early for that. Now, one thing I'm, I'm happy about that you brought up was the, uh, the workload that VTech Vancheck had. Because I always say goalies have to be conditioned for that long run. And as, as a Devil fan, you saw a guy that you had to pry him out of the net with a crowbar in Martin Brodeur, and right. that spread around the league. Then you got, now we're in the era of tandems. Everything's a tandem. And so as we're going to be going into depth also on the goaltending situation in a little bit, mm-hmm. but so you have, so you have the tandems now, but do you think that affects the conditioning when you want to say, I'm going with one goaltender for the playoff run, or do you think that everybody thinks they can follow the Colorado model and just have two goalies that go in? You have your number one. If your number two goes in, so be it. I mean, Vegas used three goalies in their run to the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think we have to look at it this way and say that it's one of those things where you could tell that the game is changing. It's no longer about having a superstar number one goaltender and a mediocre backup goaltender, and your superstar goaltender is playing 50, 60, 70 games season it's just that's just not what it is anymore um do i think it affects goaltending um yes and no i think it affects them in the sense that it's like load management in the nba where guys are not playing every game and if they're not playing every game and constantly keeping their body moving around then they're more likely to sustain an injury even if it's not even even through something that's not that severe you know like just tripping or falling or whatever um but you can see that in the NBA more injuries are happening because of this load management situation mm-hmm. you know with Vitek Vanacek and Akira Schmidt and all the Devils goaltenders especially in this situation the Devils are just trying to play the game the way that it is now they are trying to have a situation where they can have several uh, very reliable guys that they can say, it doesn't matter who's in net, we have confidence in both of them. Um, do I think that VTech needs to play more than he did last year to have success and get better? Yes, I do. Not a ton more, but I do think that he needs to establish himself more as that 1A guy. If that's what you know the situation uh, is. I don't know what's going to happen with Akira Schmid. We don't know if he's going to actually even start the season in the, in the NHL. There have been rumors, specifically from Frank Saravalli, that the Devils prefer that Schmid starts the season in Utica. So if that's the case, um, you're looking at Vitek Vanacek to pretty much be the one, the, the number one goaltender, and is going to carry more of the load. Um, and he has to do that in order to better his game, uh, better his, you know, mentality and, you know, just be overall better. I think that's really what it is. Um, so I think it does affect goaltenders if you're doing a one, a one B system. But if you look at the last couple of years in terms of Stanley cup winners, you don't necessarily need a championship goaltender to win it all. Um, 
And that's one thing that has been brought up in terms of should the Devils go after a guy like Connor Hellebuck or John Gibson, while they are, you know, great goaltenders in their own right, do we necessarily need them? I mean, maybe, maybe we don't, you know, who knows? But I think that the Devils are handling it as well as anybody would. Um, And the Devils just have to get more of more game film on the guys that they have to really make a better determination as to, is this really the tandem you want to go with long-term? So, you know, we'll see. And yeah, we're going to get more into that. I, I personally, I'm always that guy. I want to know I have my stud goaltender in there. Uh, I don't want to be flipping back and forth all the time, but Hey, it also worked for the Islanders a couple years ago too. They were mm-hmm. able to do that. All right. Let's go. Let's do the GM grade first for the off season. Neil, I'm going to, I'll start with you so I can let you have a little bit more time, but I got to give him an A minus. I think this has been nearly a, as perfect of an off season as, as you could get for Tom Fitzgerald. I mean, who'd have thought, I mean, this guy's been pretty good as a GM and he was brought in to be the coach, not the GM originally, yeah. but it's uh it's, it's a good off season. Here's a couple of my concerns. Cap space is finite and mm-hmm. he's starting to run out of cap space and Dawson Mercer's contract is coming up and I, I'm not letting that kid go. Uh, absolutely right. not. So you better make sure you got a way to get him under, under the cap and what the number is. Now uh, I have to check cap friendly. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have arbitration rights. That's going to make his contract a little bit more reasonable. You might mm-hmm. see like the next step, like maybe like four million, I'd say maybe five. But uh, I, I think his it's it's going to be it's not going to break the bank. Like if some fans are going to be like, oh no, it's going to be like ten million dollars. No, it's not. It's not going to be that much. So, right. and I love the Tafoli acquisition. I'm worried about the defense. Colin Miller could offset that. We'll see about that. So, what do you give in your grade? I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to take it a little bit of a step further and I'm going to give Tom Fitzgerald an A for this offseason. Um, I think you bring up a really good point in terms of the salary cap. The Devils don't have a ton of salary uh, space right now, um, which also leads me to believe, barring some major trade, that they're pretty much going to be satisfied with what they have done this offseason um, in terms of building this team. Um, and I think that when you look at the next couple of years, you know that the salary cap is going to go up. We don't really know exactly how much per year it's going to go up. It went up only $1 million this past off, you know, this offseason. Um, it may go up more than that. And that could be an advantage to the Devils. Tom Fitzgerald believes in having a healthy cap. That's what he's about. And that's why he's been very shrewd in his negotiations with these top guys. He got very lucky. We got to call it like it is. He got very lucky to sign Jack Hughes to the contract that he did before he had the breakout season last year. Because now, and according to The Athletic, they firmly agree, it is one of the top two best contracts in the entire NHL, considering what Jack Hughes is as a player. He signed Nico Kiescher to a very reasonable contract in his own right. He got Dougie Hamilton on a pretty big deal. But you have to, as you know, Oh, Mark, you know, sometimes you got to overpay to get the guy that you want free agency. 
And that's what the Devils had to do in terms of acquiring Dougie Hamilton. Uh, but they got guys like Andre Pallad, who I know people looking to say $5 million per year seems like a little bit of an overpay. Again, kind of have to kind of do that in free agency. But I think over time, that contract's not going to be an issue. Getting Timo Meyer and Jesper Bratt under what they were expected to get on the open market is a major plus. And it's just good because now Tom Fitzgerald has his whole course set for the next five, six, seven years. And so it's easier for him to kind of move pieces around and figure out what he needs to do. The biggest thing you look ahead is not only Dawson Mercer, but in two years time, Luke Hughes' entry-level deal will come up. Same thing with Simone Nemetz. You know, if, if you feel confident that these are the guys you want to keep long-term, you got to make sure you have salary. And also Alexander Holtz as well, if you feel that he is a part of this team long-term. And this is another reason why people have said that the Devils may not go after a big-time goaltender because they, quite frankly, can't afford it. If we're going off of Connor Hellbuck's potential demand of getting Vasilevsky money at $9.5 million per year, the Devils are not going to keep the everybody that they want. It just isn't going to happen, just being very honest. Um, if you were to get a guy like that and he signed a very, very team-friendly deal, cool. But, you know, again, you have to – when you're a GM, you're not just thinking about this year. You're thinking three, four, five, six years down the mm. road in terms of salary cap. That's why a lot of these teams have hired people specifically for the salary cap to tell them this type of situation and so they can make the best deal that they can make and, and it can be beneficial to them. So it is, you know, you do worry about it a little bit, but I think that Tom Fitzgerald um, has a plan and he's going to continue with that plan. And I have full trust in him. And then when you look at what the Devils have done this offseason, adding a guy like Toffoli, bringing in guys like Colin Miller and uh, Tomas Nosek, and even bringing in um, Eric Kalgren, who is probably going to play most of the year of goaltender uh, most of the year down in Utica. My, even has NHL experience, could be the backup to uh, to uh, Vitek Vanacek if the Devils want to go that route. Um, all of this is just the Devils adding to hole, you know, just, you know, finding ways to fill holes that the Devils were looking. The Devils needed a finisher. They got a very exper- experienced finisher on a very, very uh, reasonable contract for a year. Didn't have to give up a lot. Didn't have to go crazy with it. And it was an offseason move, which is fantastic. Getting some more veteran pieces like a Colin Miller, like I mentioned, and Tomas Nosek is very important for the Devils' bottom six to kind of make them even more, you know, of a veteran team on that bottom six and as a team in general. So I think overall, Tom Fitzgerald has done a really smart job of making moves when he gets the opportunity to do so that are going to be beneficial to the Devils and not going to hurt them in the now and not going to really hurt them in the future. So for that reason, I give him an A. The only reason I don't give him an A plus is probably because of the goaltending and that there's still that question mark. If there wasn't a question mark there, I would probably give him an A plus, but I'm going to give him an A. It might change by the time the season starts. Um, but right now, I would I would definitely give Tommy Fitz an A. Well, the Devils missed out on winning the Metropolitan Division by one point last year. Do they get that extra point this year, or do they finish second or third? I think that they are going to find a way to win the division this year. 
I have said before that the Metropolitan Division has been, is the division of death. It is incredibly tough. The teams that you face um, four times, four plus times a year in this division is very difficult. And I know that some of the teams are getting older. Like you look at the Penguins, you look at the, the Capitals, um, you look at the Islanders, like teams that had been competing for many years and being at the top of the division are starting to fall off. Now you got the quote unquote new kids on the block. You have the Rangers, you have the Devils, you have the Hurricanes, you know, you have those teams. And while the Blue Jackets and also the Flyers are obviously not anywhere close to where they want to be, you know, they could still give you a tough battle night in and night out. There's no question about it. But I do think that the Devils have learned a lot from last season that they can build upon. And I think that now that a lot of these guys have been here for several years together, they understand it's the same coaching staff, same system, same everything. I really do think that they're going to have a ton of success. I think they're going to be an issue for teams night in and night out. And I think overall, it's going to be a battle with the likes of the Hurricanes and the Rangers and teams like that. But I do think that the Devils find a way to win that Metropolitan Division. I think that they are I think that they are better on paper than they were last year. And I think that they have the firepower on, you know, all three situations, you know, forwards, even defensemen and even goaltending when everything's clicking to win a division championship. So I'm going to say they will finish in first place and win the Metro this season. Well, if they didn't have the same amount of games played, they had uh, 12 guys, I believe, that played 70, uh, 78 games or more. And that is incredible for uh, a team to make sure you're that healthy. And especially when the guy that played the least out of what I'm mentioning is that as Jack Hughes, almost called him Zach Hughes, Jesus. <laughs> but <laughs> Jack Hughes, who, uh, I mean, he plays four more games. He breezes past that century mark. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I look at them. If they're healthy, they I think they win the division. The only thing I that gives me pause is Rod Brendamore's ability to keep the team focused and then have them just go right on to win the division. Yeah. Uh, and in that case, in, in that case, the the Rangers are looking at maybe third place out of that, or maybe a little bit less. I don't know. Is Tony D'Angelo going to disrupt that locker room down in Carolina? That can happen. But like you said, though, the Metro is so incredibly tough. And every year Columbus gets a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And look look out for them maybe this year. I don't think they're cracking the playoffs. I, I think I think that might that last spot might be the Islanders. I think this is Pittsburgh's last gasp, but that's a different story. And Washington, I think they're in the rearview mirror as well. And the Flyers. Call me in three years. So right. um, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think you're looking at, you're looking at the devils probably been winning the metropolitan division. All right. So we had a poll, a poll question just now. 47% are saying that the devils had the best off season so far. So we're just going to close that poll guys. We're going to do a quick message from DraftKings and um, go on. And do a little bit of Devils bar talk and a little bit of NHL bar talk as well because we had some other uh, news that broke yesterday. Hockey fans like the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. 
If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot and an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sports app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at the DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Shot. This is the easiest side to answer. I'm going to say beer. I can't even begin to describe. I'm actually going to go crazy. I'm going to buy everybody around on this one. And welcome in my guest once again, Neil Villapiano from Devil State of Mind, because he's going to do some big apple hockey bar talk with me right now. As you know, There's no Phil, there's no Anthony this week, but that's all right. I got you, Neil. That's all we need. Gauging our NHL topics, uh, our, our confidence on NHL topics based on our choice of drink. I usually do this by memory, and I'm trying to read it right now, why I'm even doing that. And, of course, it's always brought to you by Drizzly. Why go to the liquor store? Have them bring it to you, whether it's liquor, beer, whatever you need for your party. Just have them bring it on down. And, obviously, buy it around, shot, or a beer for your choices. So we're going to start first going all the way back over here to Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes, 43 goals, 56 assists, 99 points, a plus 10 rating. Jack Hughes will be a hard finalist next year. Wow. You know, I think, honestly, I want to take it a step further and say I would buy a round for the whole bar. Uh, with that one, Ooh. because I think the Jack Hughes uh, every year is reaching a higher level of his performance. And even though he was not a finalist this year for the heart and you and understandably so, when you look at the guys that, you know, had the years that they did, McDavid, Kachuk, Dreisaitl, you know, all these guys, Jack Hughes is starting to get to that same type of echelon of player and I think that he has still so much to prove in this league and I think that he's ready to take an even bigger leap towards you know megastar you know superstar to megastar in this in the NHL and so I definitely would buy the whole uh the whole bar um a drink on that one because I firmly believe he's going to end up being a finalist for the heart uh this season I'm gonna buy around on this one too because now first our our running joke on the show is that there's only two nominations for the Hart Trophy because the automatic one goes to McDavid. Right. Now, and you want to talk about uh, the praise that he got from Wayne Gretzky last year. He's a guy that could give McDavid a run for his money. And now you have Connor Bedard coming in the league, by the way. That's a different story. But mm-hmm. this actually, Jack Hughes, he, he kicked the injury bug. And I, I think that's that's another thing. I use the term rearview mirror in the first segment. That's that's another one there. That's mm-hmm. in his rearview mirror. So um, I don't think he's I don't think he's going to slow down at all. I let's let's uh, book him for a hundred points already. Speaking about needing one more point, right? Like we spoke about before. Yeah, Jack Hughes ends up getting an extra point. I think he's a finalist next year. I I think everybody's going to be so impressed by him. 
that that'll be the real hello jack hughes right which uh we had a little bit of a stir last month as you know because we ranked the best american players anthony had him at number one and right. phil had uh had him at number uh four i think four and yep. matthew kachuk was over him but i mean that's splitting hairs by that point so right. it's all good <laughs> all right now we're going to talk about the guy that won the Selkie, but the guy that's the runner up is who we're talking about right now. Right. Because Nico Heischer, 31 goals, 49 assists, 80 points, a plus 33 rating. Boom. Nico Heischer was the runner up last year for the Selkie, and he will win it this year. I've never been more confident in this answer um, than I am now, especially with hearing the news that we got yesterday. I'm going to buy the whole round. I'm going to buy a round for everybody in the bar because I think that this has now become an opportunity for Nico Heischer to be the next Patrice Bergeron. A lot of people have evaluated him over the years and said he has a lot of the same uh, skill sets that Patrice Bergeron has. And I've said before that he basically is uh, the devil's version of Bergeron. And you saw how the NHL looked at it by him being a finalist and, you know, obviously ending up. Uh, you know, being in second place, they gave they gave him a lot of credit for the year that he had. But obviously, knowing the type of player Bergeron is and the situation of whether or not he was going to retire or not, I think it it, made, it 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 was too perfect for the league not to give uh, Bergeron a parting gift, as it turned out to be, for him to win yet another Selkie Trophy. But now that Bergeron has uh, moved on into retirement, I really, really like his chances of winning a Selkie and maybe winning more than one in his career. I think he has that ability. He's so reliable on both ends. He is a consummate leader, a guy who can put up points at a moment's notice. And, uh, you know, it's just great to see, you know, Nico's my favorite player on this team. You know, he kind of was the beginning of this uh, rebuild, if you want to call it uh, that. And I think that he's ready to uh, blossom into that, into maybe the best two-way forward in the game uh, moving forward and one of the better and certainly one of the better ones. So yeah, give me a I'm gonna buy another whole round because I think Nico's definitely got a really good shot to not only win the Selkie this year, but to win it um, several times uh, before his career is up. Yeah, he's winning it this year. Um I think and I'm just gonna put down the round for me. Now I I thought maybe that would open the door for maybe like an Elias Lindholm, but he finished further back. This is, this is number one. Look, when it comes to that playoff series, a lot of people neglect how much Nico Heischer took away the Rangers top lines and made them uncomfortable, but also the devil's poor check just pinned the Rangers in as well. But with that being said, this, this is a complete open door for him. He is, um, he went, he, his first year in the league, he played 82 games, then 69. Then he kind of had a little bout with, you know, injuries himself. And then uh, only playing about, I think it was uh, 73 games the next yeah. two years. But then he played 70 and then he played all 82 last year. Mm-hmm. If your best ability is availability and he's in there, pencil him in, he's going to win the, the Selkie. I firmly believe that one. All right. Looking at the numbers from Vitek Vanacek, 33 wins, 11 losses, 
four uh, OT losses, shootout losses, however you want to say it. A 9-11 save percentage. By the way, speaking about the Jesper Bratt number before, did you know every year until last one, 9-08 save percentage for uh, for Vitek Vanacek? That was a little bit. I did know that. Weird. I did I know that. To do, I was starting to do the playoff preview. He was actually at 9-08. Had a couple of good games to close. Uh, 245 save percentage. Now, we talked about this a little bit, but now, now we're going to have to do this for this topic. Devils have the goaltending to win a Stanley Cup. It's a really hard question. It's a really hard question. I want to say, I'm going to say, I'm I'm going to buy a shot. That's I'm going to go that route for that one because while I do still have belief in VTech um, and even Schmid that you know, with more opportunities and more experience moving forward, that they can become the tandem that that you know, gets us to where we want to go and to ultimately win a cup, you still, you know, have your reservations based off of what you saw last year. And you look at what VTech has done in the majority of his playoff career in the couple of years in Washington. And then obviously here with, in New Jersey this past season, and you, you, you're not fully 100% confident. I think there's a reason why people look at the devils and say they're a great team, but there's still that lingering, you know, is goaltending, you know, good enough. And obviously you look at what the Golden Knights did, even with what um, the Avalanche did, and you say, well, they didn't get elite goaltending from those guys, but they were good enough. They were good enough and they can, you know, do it. And VTech, I'm sure he's going to come into the season incredibly motivated to prove to himself and to prove to everybody that he can be that guy. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. But for now, I would say a shot. That's the way I would go just to be, you know, just to be fair. Uh, right now, I'm going to go shot as well because I still think Akira Schmid needs a little bit more development. And uh, the next thing would be, is Vanacek up for the challenge? We're going to find those things out right now. Can they win? I think they can win with this lineup. I think they're going to go the, the, the Colorado route where, you know, they're just going to they're just going to hit you with as many goals as they possibly can. And they're going to still be pretty, pretty good defensively. Like mm. uh, let's say if you go with Colorado, obviously the, the metaphor, the analogy, whichever one you want to say, Hughes would then be McKinnon. Um, Brad could be ranted in who's a hell of a player. That's another right. guy I look at and go, uh, but you got Kadri is, is being cast by the Nico Heischer. And if Dougie Hamilton could be Kale McCarr, then there you go. And Sigenthaler could be Devin Taves. So I might as yeah. well just keep casting. Um, but uh, if if that's the case, Colorado was the first team, I believe, that had two goalies with six wins apiece in the playoffs ever to win a Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. It's a tall order. Maybe it could get done. We'll see about that one. I I'm I'm not confident in it. But hell, the devil surprised me last year. And Lindy Ruff makes adjustments. He's he's a good coach on making adjustments a lot. So better than I don't want to say better than many coaches in the league, but he's been known for doing that. And I was starting to doubt Lindy Ruff before. By the way, uh, give a quick outline. Your latest article for us was "Don't give up on Alexander Holtz." Uh, why? 
It's a really good question. Um, Alexander Holtz is, is somebody that has been a topic of discussion um, with the Devils fans over this summer because you look at where he was drafted, number seven overall in 2020, um, and a lot of people looked at him as maybe – some people argued that he was one of the top two players in that draft with his elite, elite shooting and you know finishing ability, which is something that the Devils have been lacking. And there was a lot of hype around him. And he struggled early on to get into the lineup. And it wasn't until last season where he finally made the team out of training camp. You know, he scored the first goal of the season, his first NHL goal. And you're thinking right there, okay, you know, we're in Fat City. This is going to be great. He's going to finally break out and be the player that we all want him to be. And he just struggled. Whether it's because he's not as, he, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have the speed that fits in with Lindy Ruff's style, whether he's still struggling to play in the NHL, just the NHL game. Because when you look at what he's done in the American Hockey League, he's had a ton of success. It's not necessarily that he can't play in, Amer- in North America or on North American ice. I think it's just, I think for him, it's a lot of just overthinking it. I think for him, he needs to just get back to what he does best. And that is to shoot the puck as much as possible. If you look at the goals that he has scored, not just in the NHL, but in his career in the AHL, and even when he was playing in in Sweden, his big thing is shooting the puck. He shoots it at will. I even remember the first time he got called up. It was a game against the LA Kings two years ago. And every single time, he was slamming his stick on the ice, demanding for the puck. This is a kid who just got called up to the league, and he's shooting it from everywhere. And I think that's what the Devils need to do with him. Let him just be the player that he is and go from there. Now, it has been reported earlier this season, early this offseason, that the Devils basically said to Holtz, this is a make-it-or-break-it year, that he has to make the team. He has to make a contribution. And I'm fairly confident that he will because of the situation that he's going to be put into. He's not going to be brought up to try to be a top six scoring winger hero, although I will certainly take it if that's the case. But if you're going to put him on a third line with a guy like Eric Hall and Andre Pilat, two very responsible veterans in their own right, one of them being one of the better face-off winning percentage guys in the league, I think they can really help Holtz take that next step. And he's going to get favorable matchups because he's playing on a third line. Nobody's going to be looking at Alexander Holtz and like, that's the guy we have to stop. Because you got a multitude of other guys that we talked about earlier in this show that can really do some damage. I think Alexander Holtz is going to have a really impactful season in New Jersey. I think he's going to prove a lot of people wrong. I think that he's still incre- he's still incredibly young. He's only he's not even 21 yet. He like there, there's it's not time to give up on the kid. He still has a lethal shot. If you look at the goals that he scored during this season, they're very impressive. The goal he scored his first NHL goal, really sick shot through the legs of Carter Hart. The goal he scored against the Detroit Red Wings, he sniped it top shelf off a great feed from Miles Wood. The goal he scored on the power play against Nashville in early December, that was a one-time blast. And he just blasted it past UC Soros. Like, he was showing at times the ability that he has when it's all put together. And I think for him, it's not that he's looking at like, this is my last chance with the Devils. This He can look at it like, this is my last shot to really prove myself in the National Hockey League. And especially with his contract coming up at the end of the year, 
This is a proven year in many ways for him. And I still think that he has so much left to prove. And I know that we have so much already with this team. And maybe he just is in a situation where he may need to go somewhere else. I just don't think it's time to give up on Alexander Holtz. I think the best is still very much yet to come. And I think that best is going to happen here in New Jersey. Yeah, I think sometimes fans want to get ahead of ourselves. They forget that the progression isn't exactly just a linear thing. And also, COVID did kind of screw up people's, uh, like, I don't want to use the word progression again, but their track to becoming an NHL player. And that could have done it for him, too. So... I think it's also just worth mentioning really quick, Mark, and I mentioned it in the article. And if you haven't yet, I would highly recommend you go check it out. Jack Hughes is a really good example of some guys just take longer to become the player that they can be because of different circumstances. Jack Hughes had a measly 18, 20 points in his rookie year. And obviously the season was cut short due to COVID, but... It wasn't like he was on a tear and everything was going well. And then the following year, he started to get better, got more points. Next year, got even more. And then he broke out this season. I'm not saying that that's going to be the same trajectory at for Alexander Holtz, although certainly Devils fans will take it. I'm just saying that there are plenty of guys out there that take longer than you would like to blossom into great players. Nathan McKinnon's another great example of this. People thought Nathan McKinnon was a bust after two or three years when he wasn't necessarily moving the way that they wanted him to. Uh, here's a good example for Rangers fans. I understand the frustration on Alexi Lafreniere considering where he was drafted and the ability that you know everybody showcase, you know talked about with him. But I said it when he got drafted that he wasn't going to come in and be the savior of that franchise. He didn't need to be. He doesn't need to be. He had a lot of success on that kid line two years ago. And when he gets the opportunity where he's fitting with the right guys chemistry wise, he can make contributions. There are guys who are first round picks that don't necessarily become top players, but become guys that can fit into your lineup really well. Michael McLeod was drafted higher than Matt Barzell and Miko Rantanen. Those guys were drafted after Michael McLeod. And also, you know, and, and Michael McLeod, Former first round pick. Now he's an essential part of the Devils' four, you know, fourth line and penalty kill and winning faceoffs. But you know, like nobody's going to talk about the fact that he was a first round pick. Could Alexander Holtz be a guy that just gives us 15, 20 goals a year on the third line and contributes in that way and isn't a superstar? Yeah, and every Devils fan will take that. Nobody's going to sit there and then say he was a bust. Because then he's making contributions to our team and ultimately winning a cup. But my point is, is that it's not, it, it's too early to just write off Holtz and say, well, he's a bust. He's not going to, you know, I think this, ha- we have to give him this year. We have to give him training camp. We have to give him the opportunity to prove himself. If he still is not proving himself, even as the season progresses, then you can think about moving him. Then you can think about saying, you know what? Maybe it's just not going to happen here in New Jersey. And that happens. Not everybody's going to work out on your team. That's just how it goes sometimes. So, you know, the, the whole point is just, again, let's see what he can do this year when he gets a full legitimate opportunity. And I got to throw this name out for you for late bloomers, for Ranger fans especially. Mika Zibanejad. 
And there are plenty of people in Ottawa that want they couldn't wait to get rid of him. And then now look at him, number one center on the New York Rangers. All right, our last little bar talk topic, and then we'll do some Q and A, and then we'll we'll get you out of here because I know you got a busy night tonight. But mm-hmm. uh, Patrice Bergeron retired after 18 seasons, 2011 Cup winner, uh, six times Selkie Trophy winner. Patrice Bergeron is a top five all time Bruin. Whew. Top five in an original six franchise. I would say no. I think he's top 10. I don't think he's top five. And the reason I say that is because while he has a lot of tremendous individual accolades, like you mentioned, the six Selkie trophies, obviously he won a Stanley Cup in 2011 with Boston. We also have to look at it this way. And it's not, I'm not saying that it's Bergeron's fault. But how many years over the last decade have the Bruins had high expectations and didn't even get close? Didn't reach another, didn't win another championship. You know, Patrice Bergeron is one and two in his career in the Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup finals. You know, they, they lost out to a Blackhawks team that, quite frankly, in my opinion, was better. You know, I was part of their dynasty. And then 2019, they had no excuse. They lost game seven at home when everybody felt that the Bruins were going to get it done, and they didn't. Um, They lost to an inferior team. And then you look at this year as the prime example. He comes back on a one-year deal. Krejci comes back from playing, you know, know, in in Europe. They have this unbelievable historic season. They had a, you know, three games to one lead on Florida. Brad Marchand has a breakaway at the end of the third period of game five, chance to put it away, and they falter. They falter it all away. And it wasn't, I'm not saying it's Bergeron's fault, but if you're going to look at great Bruins of all time, team success has to play a factor into that. It's going to play a factor in anybody's, uh, when you look at any player for any team and you look at some of the guys that, you know, have done tremendous things for the Boston Bruins, winning championships, Bobby Orr's, the, the Phil Esposito's, um, the Raymond Borks even to, you know, to an extent, uh, the, all of these different guys, you know, Cam Neely as an example, as another example, you know, they contributed now, you know, again with the, you know, Raymond Bork, it's a little different, never went to a final or anything with the Bruins. Um, but you know, there was a lot of really good team success. I, I just think that Patrice Bergeron for all the great that he did, and he did a lot of great, I just don't think he's top five. I think he's top 10. Don't get me wrong. I think he's one of the greatest Bruins of all time. I just don't think he's a top five Bruin of all time. Uh, and so that's a shot for that one. And and by the way, whenever we do these lists, it's never to slam a player. It's always to gauge where they might be. So, uh, see, because I'm trying to think of it myself. I got or I got Bork. Um Obviously, Phil Esposito as well. You got Frankie Brimzek, who was known as Mr. Zero. He was the first American goalie in the Hall of Fame. You have, uh, I mean, Rick Middleton could be in there. Cam Neely, as you mentioned. But you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to just go. I'm, I'm going to cheers and say, I'm buying a round. It's, I'm going to put him at number five. I think right. he makes it to number five, if not more, if not just a little bit better. I mean, Zidane Char is up there too. 
Of course. And he, he's got a lot of time. And one thing that's going to help Bergeron is 18 years of yeah. being a Bruin. And did you read that essay that he put out yesterday? Yeah. His essay, we all want our athletes to write at the end. Talking about how they were a champion, how they were embraced by the city that they came to play in, and that they were that they love the community that they were that they were a part of for so many mm -hmm. years. And uh, God only knows the next New York Ranger that that could write that. Henrik Lundqvist was obviously that. Rod Gilbert was obviously that. I mean, you look at the Devils. You got Marty Brodeur. You got um, Ken Danico. Ken Danico loves the New Jersey Devils. And that was a guy that played his entire career as yeah. as a, he started as a devil, he ended as a devil. And Scott Stevens uh, completely became a whole new player as the New Jersey Devil. Mm -hmm. It's there's there's a lot of those players, uh, Patrick Eliash, who's probably one of the more underrated Devils of all time. And uh, you know you you get those guys. That's that's the essay you you want to see your athlete write when he retires. And not everybody is lucky enough to have that chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no question. All right. Uh, Neil, let's do some Q&A. Let's uh, take some do questions. Because uh, there were a couple good ones from earlier on. And uh, I start a few of them. Uh, DP was saying, will not miss Miles Wood as a Ranger fan. Dude hit like a freight train and could throw him down pretty good. Yep. Yeah. Uh, by the way, his father, Randy Wood. First ever penalty shot on Mike Richter for the New York Rangers. Hmm. And he also went on to say, does Jersey have any toughness on this team? I'm assuming Hughes has a target on his back, considering how fragile he is. See, this is the thing I don't necessarily like when people say that Jack Hughes is fragile, because I understand that he has gotten, you know, dealt with several injuries and it looks like it's very easy for him to get thrown around. I get that, but the thing about Jack Hughes is that he is a fighter. And you saw that, especially when he decided to throw the gloves down with Sebastian Ajo. He is a guy that is not afraid to stand up for himself. Um, and I think that he's learning more and more how to be careful about the hits. You could see how many times this year where he didn't like shy away from getting hit. He just found ways to embrace the physicality at a safer level to where he would get hit, but it wouldn't be anything severe. Uh, in terms of the toughness, this is another thing that people will bring up with this Devils team that says they don't have grit. They don't have, you know, physicality. Um, and, and I understand when you look at it. Um, I do believe that they do have toughness. You have guys like Michael McLeod. You have guys like Nate Bastion. You have guys like Eric Halla. You have guys like even a Kevin Ball or a Brendan Smith, as you very well have seen in the past, Mark. You have guys that are not afraid to bang the body, guys who are not afraid to stand up for one another and take hits. Even a guy like Tomas Nosek is not afraid to get mixed up there. Do I Would I like to see the Devils get a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical than where they are? Yes, of course. And maybe the Devils do that more once we get closer to the playoffs. Maybe that's one of the bigger moves that they make at the deadline, if that's what they decide to do. Maybe they look for a, a Ryan Reeves or a, um, a Hartman or somebody like that. You know, a guy that's going to, you know, bring that type of, you know, type of game to teams in, in terms of the playoffs and things like that. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a fair question. Uh, I do think the Devils have some toughness. Uh, I just do. I think maybe they're still lacking it a little bit, if I'm being honest. 
Yeah, I think they're lacking a little bit right now, and you can have that problem, I think, in uh, in early part of the season, October, November, when I really think skill is a little bit more uh, on display in the first couple months, as opposed yeah. to say it's still don't get me wrong, skills on display the entire year, but grit really shows when it's post All Star break. Agreed. So we have a couple of those um, like examples throughout the throughout all the era of of the nhl but Mm -hmm. when it comes down to uh the trade deadline that's where you're going to see the devils trying to get more grit and trying to really kind of like get those sandpaper guys that you need i mean hell the 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 biggest acquisition last year you could argue was well uh for the for the the golden knights was getting aiden hill and then also getting Barbashev for the top line, Teddy Bluger for the fourth line. That's oh, what yeah. they really needed. All right. Uh, David threw up this one, which was a um, question for Neil. Do you prefer the current New Jersey jersey or the jersey uh, the jerseys they wore prior to 2017? This is actually a really good question because there's a lot of talk about the Devils wanting to bring back the one – um, stripe on the bottom. That was something that Devils fans have talked about before. That's that is unfortunate about Adidas. I'm curious to know what Fanatics is going to do in terms of jerseys in general. Um, if they do decide besides to fall bring apart, them. yeah. Besides fall apart, that's very true. Or have the wrong name on the back of the jersey, or whatever you know, whatever, whatever they want to have an issue with. But um, <laughs> to me personally. I do prefer the ones prior to 1718. Um, I, you know, the, the the last jersey prior to 2017 that anybody has, the, the last one is a Nico Heischer development camp jersey where he's wearing number 33. If, if you have that, like hold on to that for like the rest of your life because that is like one of the – like funniest things you'll ever see, but it's also one of those situations where again you can kind of see the, you know, the, the the difference. It's not a major difference, but it is a difference that I think just makes the jersey look more appealing to the eye. Like I feel like you're missing something when you look at that. So that's the way I would look at it. So I would say to answer this question, the jerseys prior to 2017. All right. Uh, by the way, the guys also said, uh, DP said it's nice to hear. How outside perspectives look at Lafreniere, us Ranger fans tend to be way too hard on our prospects. Mm. And I think that's also just a New York fan type of thing. We're either going to be way too, uh, way too like, uh, hey, this kid, hey, maybe if they give him a shot, it's going to be something. I can't tell you how many journeymen have been through New York right. sports and uh, that I just can't help but go, really, this is this 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 guy and now we're gonna think mm-hmm. he's gonna be something special. I mean, right. one of the guys that frustrated the hell out of me was uh was Ryan Strom when all the the talk about oh I can't believe Strom Ryan Strom's Ryan Strom is not the answer. Mm-hmm. He is what the hell is the question? So um uh by the way Dennis said good listen so thank yes. you Dennis good to see you man. Oh hey do we have breaking news right now? Uh Sebastian Ajo eight years at nine yep. point. Seven five million. Yeah, that came up just before we um just before we went live. Yeah, the, the hurricanes locked him down eight years, nine point seven five million AAV. So hurricanes got 
one of their core guys locked down long term, which I think is uh, huge for Carolina. Uh, I, by the way, I still think that's a guy that's uh, his ceiling has not been reached yet. I agree. And I got to check where he was in sulky trophy voting because I always think he's, I always think he's a great forward, but um, yeah, the, uh, but uh, Aho getting him for 9.75. What a great price tag on that. That then this is, this is the, the contract after the Montreal contract. Right. So, I mean, when you, you, you talk about guys that like we were talking about uh, Dawson Mercer's contract, I was mm-hmm. on this with Andre Miller. I'm like, yeah, he's not going to get, he's not going to get that much money. He's not going to get that much, much money. He got 3.75 million. And I was, or I was right. Um, right. And I don't think, I don't think Mercer is going to kill the devil's salary cap, but it's just, you got to worry about if he has a real breakout season, like Adam Fox did that then you jump from that to eight point or right. 8.5 million. And then that's kind of skews things off. But as Dennis is saying right here, Jack's contract is more beautiful with each passing day. I can't help yep. but agree with that one. And that was like, that was, that was an easy one for the devils. You saw the potential mm-hmm. in this kid, just sign him long-term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then worry about paying him later. Uh, you don't have to worry about paying him at all. And don't be surprised, uh, honestly, Mark. Don't be surprised when you talk about Dawson Mercer. Don't be surprised if the Devils try to find a way to lock him down before he breaks out as well. Because that's kind of how the Devils look at it. They see the underlying numbers. They see it every day, what guys like that are capable of doing. And, you know, they are not afraid to sign these guys before they really break out. So that when they do, they're already locked up and you could say, what an absolute steal. And, that, and Jack Hughes is a prime example of that. And, uh... Dwayne right here is saying the devils don't want to be like the Canes and have toughness as you're missing link for five years and get bullied out of the playoffs for five straight years. Yeah. I, I think I, I'm not sure if they got bullied out by Florida. I thought Florida was, was exceptional in that series. Now mm-hmm. I understand there's other metrics you can go with, but uh, I personally, I just, I think I, 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 I don't think they got bullied out last year, but I just thought Florida, Florida was more physical, especially in front of the net. And Sergey Bobrovsky. And also, Carolina wasn't fully healthy. Like, we got to call it like it is. Like, they weren't at full strength. And, like, do I think this series would have been different? Maybe the result wouldn't have been, this, wouldn't have been uh, the same. Um, maybe, it, maybe it goes longer than four games getting swept. Um, but I think – I don't think Carolina got bullied. I just think they lost to – a better team, quite frankly. Uh, and, and the year before against the Rangers, I don't think they got bullied out. I think they just, I they well, for one thing, I would say they got goalied out, but that's a different yeah. story. I don't think game seven, Igor was exceptional, but the, you're asking Anthony Ronta to win a game seven, and how many how many times can you go with your second string goalie that season? So, of course, that's about it on that. Um, uh, Look at look at through some of the comments, trying to see if there's any other uh, questions for you right now. Uh, but we're also saying you have to play a good team defense. Can't just leave mm-hmm. it up to your D and a goalie. The forwards have to help out the D. Yes, agreed. And as uh, I was asked before, I had the biggest yawn ever. Joe is saying <laughs> should have a uh, should have a good year. He's finally gaining some confidence from last season. I agree. Yep. 
All right. Uh, so, Neil, actually, you know what? If if you want, we'll wrap it up right here. We got about an hour and 19 minutes in. And because, uh, I, like I said, I know you got things that, that you got to do today. Yep. So um, I, I, I would stay around for some more Q&A, but I got to run as well right now, guys. So thanks, everybody, for joining us today on this special episode of Big Apple Hockey. Neil's going to be back with us throughout the season. Hopefully, you know, like, like at least once a month, if not more than that, so, yeah. to talk some Devils, talk some Metropolitan Division, because there's going to be a lot to be covering. If you haven't already checked them out, the Devils fans, make sure you check them out on Devil State of Mind. And uh, also, he writes for us as well. So there's going to be hearing plenty of them. So, Neil, any last thoughts? Again, Mark, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, for everybody listening also um, on episode 80, uh, this will also be episode 80 of the Devil State of Mind podcast for season four. Really do appreciate it as always, guys, um, hanging out and listening. I know this is, uh, you know, well more than an hour, but still really do appreciate you guys listening. Go give uh, Mark and Big Apple Hockey a follow um, on their phenomenal YouTube page. Go check out their podcast. Check out all the other articles as well that are being written. Uh, not just the ones that I write for the Devils, but also all the other ones. Do they, These guys do a fantastic job, and I'm just lucky to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to doing many more of these uh, once the season gets underway. But again, thank you for uh, having me on, Mark. I really appreciate it. No problem, Neil. Thanks, and it's great having you. Everybody, Take care, and we got some more content coming out soon. We're going to talk about the NHL's best bargains. Hope to have that video for you guys during the weekend. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you later.